You need to be like Laplace's demon. You need to understand the system. You need to read carefully about the system. Mm -hmm. And then you need to solve the question. It's not a matter of like instinct and going with your gut and that one just feels, no, no. Solve the damn question. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 441 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox. With me is Ben Olson. We're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. You can be LSAT famous if you want to share news and ask questions on our website, thinkinglsat.com. Ben, you've got a free class coming up February 19th at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. You want to talk about that class a little bit and how people would register? Yeah, certainly. So they can register at lsatdemon.com forward slash free. Uh, I will be doing two logic games and if we have time, some logical reasoning. So for anyone taking the test before the August 2024 LSAT, so in April or June, yeah, this class could be useful. Beautiful. Uh, and how do they register? Uh, lsatdemon.com forward slash free. LSATdemon.com forward slash free if you want to register for Ben's class. That'll give you a taste of all of the free classroom offerings that we have uh, at LSATdemon.com. We have, boy, what is it, Ben? Four or five classes every single day with me, with you, and with a dozen other LSAT teachers yeah. uh, that are available for LSAT Demon Live subscribers. That's right. Yep. Cool. Uh February 29th is the registration deadline for the April 2024 LSAT. Uh, we always recommend on this show that you not register until basically the deadline. You know, if, if the deadline is coming up and you think your practice test scores justify you sitting for the April 2024 LSAT, then you've got to register by uh, leap day, February 29th for the April 2024 test. If your practice test scores are nowhere near ready, then you're just not ready. Don't even worry about it. Start looking at the registration deadline for the June test, which I don't have uh, at my fingertips here. But if you go to lsat.link forward slash dates, you can see all of the uh, registration deadlines that are coming up. Congratulations to everyone who crushed the January LSAT. And thanks to all of you who wrote in to tell us how you did. We can't read every message on the podcast, but uh, we will show you a couple. Here's a nice one from Isaac. Isaac, uh, by the way, has been with LSAT Demon since last March. Uh, he began with a 135 diagnostic and just scored an official 163. Wow. Hmm. 28 What's points. Isaac say? Yeah. I'm not stopping here, though. Aiming to take the April and June LSATs before they take my beautiful score booster logic games away. I was a live student for like four months at the beginning of my studying. Never talked in class, but shout out to Alla, Beth, Chris, and Matt. Awesome. Four of our terrific LSAT teachers that we have at LSAT Demon. Um, well, not Matt right now. He's on hiatus due to doing actual <laughs> legal work, but we hope yeah. to have him back at some point. Alec, Beth, and Chris are all uh, still actively teaching classes with us. So that's great, Isaac. Wow, 28 points and getting greedy. Um, and he's going to keep going, which is exactly what he should do. Um, yeah. That's terrific. Unfortunately, not everyone was so happy with their January results. Uh, so here's 
one from Josie about her January LSAT. I just got back the score from my of my first LSAT, and I'm feeling a bit hopeless. I only got a 144 even after taking a month off from work during my winter break at school just so I could study every day. Hmm. I put in around 90 to 100 hours of studying in total before my January LSAT. I even retreated to a house in the mountains for five days before my test to study in solitude for six hours a day, every single day. <laughs> well, there's your Oh, wow, Josie, problem, do you but... listen to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'll let you finish the email. Yeah. On my prep tests and on the actual testing day, I struggled with being able to complete each section. I only ever get through two reading comp passages, two logic games, and I always have around 10 arguments that I have to guess on. I do not know how to get my score up and my timing down, but I need to do both fast. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm really wanting to apply to a rolling admissions law school by May at the very latest. Do you think I have a shot or is it hopeless? Wow. Josie, I'm so glad you wrote in because there are so many things that you're doing here that are hurting you and not help, helping you accomplish your goal. And if you just change <laughs> even half of them, you will find yourself making so much more progress. Yeah. The first biggest elephant in the room is you shooting for this rolling admissions law school for a final, final, final deadline of May. Yeah. Um, you know, law schools, almost every law school does rolling admissions, by the way. Uh, so it's not like this is a unique thing that you're this one school offers rolling admissions and you think that's special somehow. Mo almost every law school does rolling admissions. That means that they open the admissions window in basically September and They'll start accepting applications and they will start making offers uh, whenever they want. And they do it in waves sometimes, like some schools will have a first wave of offers that goes out in November, December, whatever. And then they send out following waves sometimes later in the cycle. earlier, right? Yeah. I mean. Sure. And well, no, I mean, we've seen schools that were giving out full ride scholarship offers in September before. Yeah, totally. So, you know, that our advice is always... You do your own early admissions program. You ignore all of the school's deadlines. You decide that the deadline for me is I'm going to apply at the beginning of the cycle. It doesn't have to be day one of the cycle, but, you know, we're going to try to apply in September if we can. If not, October yeah. And that's pretty much it, right? I mean, we just, we just don't see much value in it. <laughs> we want you to apply broadly. And we want you to take advantage of the best offers that might be out there. And we don't even know what those are going to be in any given cycle. So we just want to apply early to all of our schools and then let the offers roll in on whatever calendar they're going to roll in on. You, Josie, you know, like the worst thing that could ever happen to you is that you get into this school in May because you're definitely not going to get a good price. You're going to get a terrible price. You're going to get probably no scholarship at all if you get in. Mm -hmm. And you're going to go pay full price to a school that very likely is already out there offering scholarships at this point in the cycle. Yeah. You know, we've got many students who are just sitting on full ride offers already for starting yeah. this fall. They're waiting for more full rides or other offers to come in <laughs> yeah. and decide which one is best. So And Josie, you're like in a huge rush to pay not only your tuition, but theirs as well. Mm hmm. And if you don't believe that, 
go to lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships and click around into the schools and take a peek at what the financing actually looks like at these schools. Because at many schools, you know, it's going to be a very slim portion of the class that's paying full price. And almost everybody at this, almost everybody at almost all schools gets some sort of scholarship help grants. And if you're not getting grants, you're, you're not playing the game the right way. So I just hate that you're trying to force in an uber late application in May. Mm -hmm. And instead Mm -hmm. I would, I would tell you that you're, you're on time to apply in September of 2024 for September of 2025 admissions. I yeah. mean, cause you're not even really early Josie, not given where your LSAT is and how much improvement you need. I wouldn't no. even say that you're early for next cycle. You're extremely late for this cycle, extremely late for this cycle. And, and maybe on time for this cycle, you have a 144. Uh, you want to apply in September or October of this year. It's February, right? So you have maybe seven months. Can you get a score that's going to get you into the schools that you want to go to for free or nearly free? I don't know. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, seven months is a decent amount of time, but you got to get working on okay. bringing that score up. Yeah. Let's put the let's put all the cycle stuff aside. Josie, since you're writing into our show, I'm going to assume that you're going to take our advice and not apply this cycle, but apply next cycle instead. So if she's going to apply in September, if she's going to play the game the right way, what we think Mm -hmm. is the savvy way to play the game, like if you're going to play it the way your coaches are telling you to play it, you're going to apply in September. What does she do with her LSAT between now and then? She's got months now. Months, yeah. So let go of all this need to do tons and tons of hours every day, right? There is this sense that if she does a lot of... She's really focused on the quantity of her time spent studying. Uh, 90 to 100 hours of studying, six hours a day in solitude every single day. No, Took time off from... Took a month off of work. Yeah. So that I could... A month off of work during my winter break at school. So by the way, she's an undergrad. Which yeah. I hope you're getting straight A's, Josie. Because <laughs> so your question is, you, yeah, what should we do with the LSAT? But the question may be, what should we do with your GPA? Yeah, Josie, you might want to just stop LSAT studying and focus on getting straight A's. Once you get straight A's, then you could focus on your LSAT. Then once you get the right LSAT, then you could start thinking about applications. But you're like doing the third or fourth thing down the road before you've taken care of the first thing and the second thing. I don't think Josie can even hear what you're saying there. Why? I, I have a feeling that she's listening to this and saying, what the fuck? You're telling me to stop studying the LSAT? Yes. I, I want to take money out of my own pocket so that you will stop wasting time and money and effort on LSAT prep so that you will get better grades so that you <laughs> will give yourself the best chance of law school admissions. Yeah. I hope she can hear that. I just, she's so focused on trying to get the, I need to do both of these things, get my score up and my timing down fast. And right, finish I just, my undergrad <laughs> and keep working at my job. Yeah. You know, and I, I got to go faster on the LSAT and I have to do that fast. Yeah. Ugh. Because she's only doing two RC passages, two games and 15 LR questions. I mean, she's got, she's got, a, she's got a lot of, room for improvement. That's what 144 scorers look like. Yeah. 
If she was going to start studying for the LSAT, let's assume she's getting straight A's because Josie, again, your coaches are telling you do not study for the LSAT unless you're getting straight A's. Yep. So if you don't have straight A's, stop and go work on that and then come back to the LSAT in when you're doing that, which may not be until the end of uh, school. But if she does have straight A's. Okay, if she does. And if she if she she's got school, she's got work and she's got a life and she still wants to study LSAT. What should she do? She should study one to two hours a day, five to six days a week. And just focus on I would focus honestly almost entirely on drilling right now and just slowing down and working on doing questions without worrying about time. Time sections will still be good to practice letting go of that time, but Josie is so caught up in doing things fast. Yeah. She just needs to like totally reset. Yeah. The clock is Josie's worst enemy here in more ways than one. She's, mm -hmm. you know, the calendar is a form of a clock, right? And she's oh. like forcing herself to rush in the calendar but then she's also forcing herself to rush on the test itself because she's so worried about not being, you know, get my timing down and got to, got to figure out how to finish, how to complete each section. She said, mm -hmm. and it, Josie, your, your problem is that you're only seeing the forest and you're not actually paying enough attention to the individual trees. You've yeah. got to get that question that you're looking at right now. You've got to get that one, right? You've got to read it carefully. You've got to understand what it's saying. You've got to get it right. And if you let go of the clock and learn how to just get individual questions right and feel really good about each individual answer you're choosing, then you'll start to see how easy the test can be and you will go faster. But it's only the only kind of speed that is good for you is the kind that's also accompanied by accuracy. And you just don't get there by focusing on speed. You get there by focusing on accuracy. And then eventually you'll be able to go faster. What do you think? Is it hopeless for Josie? No, not if she accept, lets go of this artificial timeline, both for applications and for the LSAT, and just starts focusing entirely on learning. Sit down, study the LSAT for an hour or two hours, and just, what can I learn today? If that means doing four questions instead of 20, I don't care at all. That's where the real progress is. I have very little hope, Josie, if you insist on applying this cycle. If you take our advice and instead of applying to one school super late this cycle, that's a hopeless plan. If yes. instead you apply broadly to many schools at the beginning of the next cycle or even the cycle after that, who cares? Then I have a lot of hope for you. You just, you've, you've got to get to, you know, 150 before you can get to 155 and you've got to get to 155 before you can get to 160. And instead of just like, I got to get my score way up right now before May, instead you can go to like a more incremental process where it's like, yep, I'm going to work for an hour today. I've got school, I've got work and I've got an LSAT study hour. Yep. And you just chip away at it every day. Focusing on accuracy, focusing on really understanding the test, then, you know, you might end up getting one of these 
28 point improvements like Isaac was talking about in the previous email. Mm-hmm. But those do not come from trying to race the clock and or 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 race the calendar. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Josie. Hey, our social media followers have been asking. Where did the name LSAT Demon come from? Yeah, so LSAT Demon originally was a book title that I used in my classes way back when I taught in-person classes. And basically, I was trying to come up with a name. And at the time, I happened to be reading about, what is his name exactly? Pierre Simon Laplace. So This is a scientist from the 1800s who formulated this theory about determinism. Basically, if you knew everything about the universe, if you knew every atom's location and every atom's momentum, you could determine exactly what would happen in the future and you could actually figure out what had happened in the past to get to where they are now and what they're doing right now. But to do that, you would need to know everything. And so he came up with, or I don't know if he came up with it, but somebody called this all-knowing being that would know the location and momentum of every atom Laplace's demon. So I was reading that and I was trying to think of a book title and I thought, hey, the demon could know everything about the LSAT, at least. You might not be able to know everything about the universe, but everything about the LSAT and that would be embodied in this book. And it's also just kind of a little bit of a dig at the other books that were really popular at the time, the Bibles, <laughs> the LSAT Bibles. I think <laughs> I, I, I really love this idea that, you know, the simple idea of Laplace's demon is that, um, according to determinism, if the demon yeah. knows the precise location and momentum of every atom in the universe, then their past and future values are entailed. You could just calculate it from the laws yeah. of classical mechanics. Well, on the LSAT, and this is, it doesn't require a demon. You can know the meaning of the words that you're reading. If you read, you know, on logic games, let's say. Yeah. If you read the rules that tell you, hey, it's seven newspaper articles and we're going to print them all one at a time in a certain order, you you know Mm -hmm. that fact. And then you also know the fact that you know, the rule about sports has to come after the rule about the, sorry, the, the article about sports has to come after the rule, the article about politics mm-hmm. or the, you know, the, the longest story has to come third or yeah. whatever. There's all these rules, right? And if you read them carefully and if you actually understand them, and if you do that for all of the rules in the game, then you can calculate the answer for each of the questions. It's really simple. Yeah, not just in games, but in logical reasoning and reading comp as well. Everything is there, right? You just yeah, take LR. the information and you figure out what must be true on the basis of it. And that's how you predict answers. That's reading and comp, it's right? Totally it's like, here's what they said. So determinable. I'm just pick an, I'm going to determine an answer. Yeah. I, I, I dipped in last night. I, um, I, I lurked a little bit last night on Discord. Uh, we have an LSAT demon Discord and um, there, they are, there are study groups on the Discord. Mm. And so I was on, I was in one of the study rooms, just kind of observing. Sure. And someone like was giving the advice that you need to go with your gut. Mm. And (laughs) I was supposed to just be observing, but I can't fucking help myself. And so I just like 
jump in the chat and I'm like, do not go with your gut. <laughs> do not trust your first instinct. You need to be like Laplace's demon. You need yeah. to solve. You need to understand the system. You need to read carefully about the system. Mm -hmm. And then you need to solve the question. Yeah. It's not, it's not a matter of like instinct and going with your gut. And that one just feels no, no solve the damn question. <laughs> These, these questions are perfectly answerable if you take totally. the time to solve them. Totally. I mean, the nice thing about the LSAT is it's this confined, limited, you know, set of words on a page. Yep. There's a finite number, a small number of things uh, you have to learn and digest, but you bring those things into your mind, you can absolutely 100% figure out where they're going to go. And that's what we do all the time. And that's how people who own the test get all the right answers. So the name LSAT Demon came from Ben 15 years ago when he was working on a book. Um, but the the origin of it is Laplace's Demon. And the, the whole idea is just that if you understand each of the individual elements in the system, mm -hmm. then you can predict the results of the system, which um, is very similar to if you understand the elements of an LSAT question, then you can predict the answer to that LSAT question. Totally cool. Uh, and that, you know, going back to Josie above Josie, that's how you need to start seeing this test is that you, you just need, you gotta, you gotta read it better so that you, so that the answers are like, just seem inevitable. Mm-hmm. Well, given what you've said, given the question you've asked me, this is the only possible answer. And it certainly isn't any of these other answers. You've got to start solve. I might solve is my favorite word, I think, to use for teaching. Mm -hmm. You know, did you solve the question? Or did you just go with the one? Did you just go with one of them? <laughs> did you like narrow it down and then just, well, I think this one's a little stronger than that one. So I'm going to mm. go with this one because it's a little mm. stronger. Like that is yeah. never, ever right. Did you solve it or did you not solve it? Do if you solved it? it, feel good about it. You know, you get it right. Okay, great. Move on to the next one. Yeah. Pretty simple, really. Ooh, this is exciting. Eric, uh, producer Eric has given us a pearls versus turds. Logical reasoning double header. Okay. Um, LSAT Demon student Michaela, uh, Michaela hated her old prep company, but she's tempted to follow their advice on parallel reasoning questions. Here's, here's that advice. You are unlikely to finish all questions in the amount of time given, so you may as well skip the parallel argument and or parallel flaw questions because they take up too much time having to read through each answer choice. Oh. Pearl or turd? Total turd. Yeah, clear turd. Some of these questions can be very easy, and I actually love teaching these questions because it gives us six opportunities, the original argument, and then the five answer choices for people to get better at reading and understanding arguments and deciding whether they're valid or invalid. Yeah. I mean, they're such great teaching opportunities. <laughs> they are. Um, I would add on to that that this advice, the specific advice is parallel reasoning and parallel flaw takes up too much time having to read through each answer choice. The oh, problem yeah. with that is that you don't have to read all the way through each answer choice to know Definitely that they're wrong. Not. 
We yeah. start with the assumption that every answer choice is wrong because every answer choice is wrong 80% of the time. Only one answer can be right and there's five answers. You got four wrong answers on every question. So we assume that A is wrong when we read it and we only read it as far as we need to read it to know that it's wrong. Well, if the given argument was talking about cause and effect and the you know answer choice A starts talking about you know, you can only be on the committee if you have a master's degree. Mm -hmm. Wait, I thought the argument was about cause and effect. And now over here, you're giving me conditional reasoning. Yeah, like uh, necessary condition. It's not the same at all. It's just yeah. totally different. Like, and so, I, I mean, I would say on a typical parallel reasoning question, I read the entirety of one and a half answer choices because i will read the entire answer i pick and frequently i'm going to eliminate all four wrong answers before i even finish them yeah like on some answers you have to finish the whole thing to know that it's wrong but on many many of the answers you get to let go of them before you get there there are so many parallel reasoning questions that are easy yeah well, you say this all the time, right? That that uh, every answer choice has an 80% chance of being wrong. Yes. But once you find an answer choice that you like, for example, let's say you like answer choice B. Well, now the odds of C, D, and E being wrong have just gone up even more. I don't know what number they might be. <laughs> but Right, but you do have you, to do that little like Bayesian kind of analysis where your right. prior is every answer has an 80% chance of being wrong. Then you read A, it's perfect. It's like what you predicted. You know, there's little tricks on parallel reasoning that make them so easy. One of the predictions is, or one, one way to, to deal with the answer choices is, if you really understand the given argument, and let's say it's a flaw question, let's say, or parallel flaw, let's say that they confuse sufficient for necessary in the argument. That's mm -hmm. the LSAT's most common flaw. When they do it, it's like they look dumb as shit. You know, they, they, they look so stupid when they do it and you can, you can see them a mile away. Um, where, you know, they say something like if you're in New York city, you're in the United States. Therefore, if you're in the United States, you have to be in New York city. Huh? No, you don't. That's the LSAT's most common flaw. That's confusing, sufficient for necessary. There's all kinds of other places that you could have been in the United States besides New York city. So you're, you're looking to match the parallel flaw. When you go into answer choice A, you totally could see that A does the exact same thing, A or B or whatever. And then it's like, okay, well, provisionally, that's going to be my answer. Mm -hmm. Now, let me just tick off why all these other ones are wrong. And, you know, B might not even be flawed at all. C might have some other different flaw. Other answers might just not even be talking about sufficient and necessary conditions that they might not even be using any conditional reasoning at all. And they're just so easy to dismiss. <laughs> and so there, there are many parallel reasoning questions that might be the easiest question on the entire section, especially when it's a parallel flaw. Like if they tell you that the argument was flawed and then they say, go match that same flaw. I think students falsely think, Okay, so what I have to do on parallel questions is I have to match every single element. But no, you, you don't. You, you have to match the reasoning of the argument. 
And if the given argument did something really glaring, like confusing sufficient for necessary or confusing correlation for causation, then you go into the answer choices looking for that same flaw. There's more that we could say about this. I mean, what about a parallel reasoning question where the argument is actually good? Those are frequently easy to answer as well. If you read that argument and you go, damn, that was a good argument. Like they actually, if their evidence is true, then their conclusion has to be true. Bravo. You know, that doesn't happen that often on the LSAT. Good job. They actually made a good argument here. If they do that, then it should be trivial going into the answer choices because the correct answer is going to be not only valid logic, but it's going to be similar valid logic. Yeah. And it's just, it should, if you're doing it right, it should just jump right off the page. as like, oh yeah, that's a perfect echo of the thing that I was just reading. Yeah. And then, you know, wrong answers, like you read A and it's making logical errors. You read B and it's just a completely different type of logic. Eventually you read one of the answers that it's like, oh yeah, uh-huh. Valid logic, exactly the same as what I was looking for. That's got to be the answer. I don't know. A parallel and parallel reason, uh, parallel and parallel flaw questions. When you get good at the test, they can be some of the easiest questions on the test. Yeah, and there's often uh, parallel reasoning or parallel flaw questions that come earlier in the section, and they happen to be very easy as well. And they don't even have to be that long. Um, time can be taken up in so many different well, ways. Often the argument is like this. I'm using my fingers. I'm yeah. displaying a one half inch. Yeah, three gap. or four lines, right? It's like <laughs> Often the argument is like this, and then I'm going to use both hands to display how long the answer choices are because there's yeah. like a foot of answer choices. You know, you got one inch of passage and then a foot of answer choices. And yeah, that's that can be really intimidating if you think you're going to have to like seriously contemplate all that one foot long of wrong answer choices. But if you instead just attack that short bit, the passage that they've given you, figure out whether it's good or bad, then just go find the same good or bad in the answer choices. It can be so easy. And as Ben says, especially when they pop up in the first 10 or first 15. Also, I just want Michaela to recognize, and I I hope this principle has been illustrated elsewhere, but our game is always the long game. So I, I hate these ideas of like, oh, well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do a time section. I'm not quite there yet with parallel reasoning, so I'm going to skip it. And that's going to help me garner a few more points in this practice section. I don't give a fuck. Do the best you can on every question you attempt, because what we're really trying to do is increase your skill set, because that's going to be what really improves your score and your speed over time. Yeah, but that's not the that's not the game that the Kaplan's and Princeton's of the world are trying to play. You know, the Kaplan's and Princeton's of the world are like, we're going to try to get you a, you know, we got a seven point improvement guarantee. That's a Princeton review thing. Yeah, it's like these YouTube videos that say like five LSAT points in five minutes. And you're like, okay, (laughs) wow, what do we? That's a lot. (laughs) I want to watch that video. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's I mean blatant bullshit, but okay. Um, our game, like we want you to be like Isaac at the top of the show. We we want you to get a twenty something point improvement. We want you to actually understand this test, mm-hmm. and it's a first step toward understanding the shit that you're going to read in law school. By the way, 
get better at reading now on the LSAT and it requires patience. It does not have anything to do with all of these test taking gimmicks. They're, they are not oriented toward, yeah, they're oriented toward small short-term gains instead yeah. of bigger longer-term gains. Yeah. Here's a standard, I guess you could put any tip through, right? This might be for pearls versus turds. Does the tip ultimately improve your understanding of the test? That one doesn't. Nope. Yeah. Okay. So there's a turd. Uh, you want to read this next one from Hannah? Yeah. Hey, Ben and Nathan, I've been using a different prep course and I recently watched one of their free live classes about logical reasoning. The instructor said that it was important to identify all the different LR question types and create individual steps for attacking the question based on the type. Is this a good strategy for building an LR foundation, a good overall strategy or a turd? Um, I do think that it's important to know the logical reasoning question types and to have a very basic rubric for attacking the question based on the type. I agree with that. Where I'm worried about, like nothing that's been said here is per se wrong, but what I'm worried about is that this person is going further and saying, oh, you have this certain question type, therefore you need to go back and read the passage in a different way, which then requires you to identify the question type before you even read the passage. That, that's my right. main fear is that they're, they they teach it in a way that leads you to believe that you need to know the question type before you can attack the passage, and that's 100% turd. Or that there's some fundamental difference in terms of how you read the passage right. when you have a <laughs> different isn't. question type. And there isn't. It's like, no, understand the passage. Understand that's the goal. The document. <laughs> yes, understand the record that's in front of you. It's yeah. short. You know, it's somewhere between two and four sentences, right? It's yep. like just not that much there. And yeah. you should be able to understand that. You're going to be yeah. a lawyer. You're going to be a law student. Reading these two to four sentences and understanding what's there is not taxing. Uh, then you can deal with the, well, deal with the record first. So yeah. is there an argument? Are they making an argument? Did they present evidence and give you a conclusion? If they did, is it a good argument? That is, does the evidence prove the conclusion? Odds are it doesn't. Odds are that the argument has missing pieces or is just outright broken on its face. And if it is, you need to be able to tell them why it's bullshit. If there's not an argument, if it's just a set of facts, then you ask yourself, oh, okay, so, you know, is there anything that I could prove from those facts? Like, what could I learn from those facts? Is there a way to integrate those facts with one another? And <laughs> then you go to the question. Totally. I mean, we, we flip this on its head, right? The question becomes a confirmation of your understanding of the passage rather than a tool yeah. to understand the passage, right? If I read the argument, well, first of all, I read the passage, I identify that there's an argument, and then surprisingly determine that that argument is valid. Most arguments are not valid, but if it is, and then the question says something like, which one of the following best expresses the main point in the argument, that is a little bit of a confirmation that I was on the right path because they didn't ask me, oh, which one of the following best describes the flaw in reasoning? Because then I'd be like, oh shit, apparently I thought it was valid, but it's actually flawed. So they can't ask me that kind of question. And when they don't, I kind of know that, I'm, yeah, I'm on the right path. And I feel confident yep. about that already, but yep. th that's where all this stuff goes. Um, yep. I don't know. Yeah, so it happens I'm afraid a lot. this is a turd. 
I, yeah, I, I'm afraid it is too. I, you know, going back to the parallel reasoning thing. Yeah. In the in the rare instance where they actually give you a good argument, right? Because we don't read the question first, so we don't even know whether it's a parallel reasoning question. That's another no. reason not to skip parallel reasoning questions is that yeah. you have to like read the argument, then the question, and then skip it, or which is dumb, or you have to read the question first for every single question, which I think is just a terrible strategy that leads to yeah. people really. It's like a short circuit, man. People who yeah. do that just don't attack the passage well. Mm. So, but so if you do it our way, you read the, you're always reading the passage first anyway. Mm -hmm. And when you read a passage and it turns out to be a good argument, right? If you read that and it's a good argument, it's like, I instantly go, oh, I wonder if this is a parallel reasoning question. Cause that yeah. pops like when they do give you a good argument, it's very, very frequently a parallel reasoning question. And Sure enough, they ask you a parallel reasoning question. And then one thing I wanted to say earlier, another reason why parallel reasoning can be easy is mm -hmm. that you should be able to stop halfway through an answer choice. Like if they give you a premise or two that looks like it's a match, you can stop right there and you can say, OK, well, this looks pretty good so far. If it were correct. In, in <laughs> order to be correct, here's yeah. what it would have to say next. Yeah. And then you predict what it says next. And if it does, which it happens all the time, once you get good at parallel reasoning, but once you get good at the good at LSAT logical reasoning, you will be able to say, OK, so here's what it would have to say in order to be correct. And if it does say that, then it's now you're like 200 percent. This is the answer. And it's great because you're 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 like seeing farther down the road, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you start predicting the question type. You start predicting what the rest of this answer is going to say if it's correct. That's determined. Now you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's the demon, right? That, that's, yeah, yeah. that's like actually understanding instead of real gimmicky strategies. Like I, I have a feeling that this same, you know, whatever other prep course you're using, they're probably telling you to read the question first, which is strike one, two and three in my book. Then they're going to say, OK, so, you know, you're going to have a, a particular strategy. And my guess is that their strategies are also going to suck like on if it. Oh, OK, it's a main conclusion question. Skim the passage looking for keywords. Ugh. Don't read the actual argument. Just look for thus and therefore and so and the stuff that comes after the thus and the therefore and the so that's the conclusion. And yeah. That works on the very easiest LSAT questions. <laughs> like for a student who's at 132, that that strategy could get you to 137. Congratulations. Yeah. But it's also going to cause you to miss questions down the road because not every question has those keywords. And even worse, some questions, some arguments are going to have keywords that lead you to think that something is their conclusion when in fact that was just an intermediate conclusion and there's some other main conclusion that didn't use those keywords. Yeah. I mean, I hope that this prep course isn't committing that egregious of <laughs> advice, but there are, I mean, I, I can't totally disagree because there are companies out there that do that. Right. Oh, and, and so it's a, <laughs> the big, and big two, ones, right? Like we, yeah. 
we've lately been bleeping out prep company names, but I mean, Kaplan and Princeton Review really do deserve the condescension. I mean, they, yeah. they've been around forever and they just suck. <laughs> like, and they're massive. The reason, they're like Jupiter. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're massive. They're all mobbed up with the schools and all these other institutions. You know, they have these well-mean, well, on the surface, well-meaning programs and they're, you know, like to, to try to in, increase diversity or whatever. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. But your, your, your strategies themselves are garbage. And yeah. we've had countless students tell us that they hated those classes and that they improved so much immediately when they stopped doing everything they ever learned in a Kaplan or a Princeton review class. Mm. So when someone says I've been using a different prep course, odds are it was Kaplan or Princeton because mm -hmm. of how big they are. So the odds are that like, yeah, they're their question, you know, their LR question types and individual steps for attacking the question based on the type are mm. probably bad. Yeah. Anyway, we have a YouTube playlist uh, called LR Elevator Pitches. Mm. And these are just meant to be short discussions of here's what we're thinking on this type of question. But this is a secondary concern because you can just read it. If you just read the passage carefully and then read the question that they're asking you, you can solve it without any knowledge at all of LSAT question types. Totally. I think it's like Pareto's principle. 80% uh, of the work is in the passage. Then the 20% comes after if you've really done it right. If you do it our way. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I would invite you to do it our way because we've been able to just like blow the doors off of what we used to think was possible in terms of LSAT improvement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I used to think 10 points was great. Now I'm like yeah. disappointed when people improve by 10 points. Unless they started at 168. You know, because I just want people to transform their understanding of the test. And uh, it's not gimmicks and strategies and or, you know, short term tactical things that's going to do that. It's yeah, we really have to actually slow down and understand what we're reading. <laughs> Once you do that, then you, the whole thing just opens up for you. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, if you've got a Pearl versus Turd candidate, you can let us know at thinkinglsat.com or find us on social everywhere uh, at thinkinglsat. That was two turds in the double header. What's the scoreboard say? Scoreboard? Did you just update it? 27 yep. Pearls, 78 Turds, 26 Ties. A lot of bad advice out there. Next one is from Lucy. Subject is applying six question review. Whoa. Applying the six question review process to logic games. Okay. Hi, I love your method of asking one. Why is the right answer right? Two, why didn't I pick it? Three, why is the wrong answer wrong? Four, why did I pick it? Five, what can I do better? And six, how do I avoid the mistake the next time? Yeah, I would, I would make that plural. How do I avoid <coughs> these mistakes next time? Because if you missed a question, you made at least two mistakes. You picked a wrong answer and you didn't pick the right one. Mm -hmm. You probably also misread a bunch of stuff that led you to make those mistakes. But yeah, this is a, a process. You know, it's, it's not really a process so much as it is here's the kinds of things that you should be thinking about and asking yourself when you're 
reviewing. Yeah. Um, Lucy continues, however, I find myself applying this review technique only to logical reasoning and reading comprehension. How do I do this method for logic games? My trouble is with questions five and six of the process. If I simply looked at my diagram incorrectly slash read something wrong, in the future, I'll diagram more clearly. Is there a better way to articulate my logic game's mistakes? Thanks so much. Love the pod. Hmm. I mean, I think the biggest mistake people make on games is that they just don't sit with the facts, the setup, the rules. They don't sit with that long enough and they don't work enough to solve the system first. If you solve the system first, then you're getting like all of the questions correct before you even look at the questions because you're just like, well, no, hold on. I mean, you gave me a bunch of rules. Let me think through those rules and let me think about the different alternatives here. Mm -hmm. But when you miss a question on games, yeah, you could still absolutely say, why is the right answer right? Why didn't you pick it? Why is the wrong answer wrong? Why did you pick it? As far as what you can do better and how to avoid the mistake next time, it's, it's probably build better worlds. Build a better setup in the first place. Could be one world, could be two worlds, could be multiple worlds, but just work more on the, the worlds, one or more of those worlds. Work, work more on just, it's like drawing a picture of the football field and the 11 players on one side and the 11 players on the other side and like kind of picturing what it's going to, how this is all going to work out. People don't do that well enough. And then they lead them. Then they end up having a lot of problems trying to answer the questions. You know, I, I have to agree with that. And I, I, I'm curious what you think about cutting questions five and six. I think they're sort of baked into the first four questions on some level. And then it's going to be easier for people to remember. And to the extent that that helps, great. Like, I don't want people to get, uh, oh, there's so many, and then just kind of do nothing. Yeah. I mean, a common mistake that people will make on games, like if they if they did do their worlds correctly, I mean, because, yeah, the, the majority of your mistakes are going to come from you just didn't solve the system in the first place or you actually mm -hmm. introduced some errors when you were trying to build your worlds. Yeah. And so, you know, your representation of the system is actually is incorrect on the page. Well, then, yeah, you're going to pick wrong answers. But there are other times on the games where, for example, they might have asked you for something that must be true. And you might have picked an answer that could be true. So, you know, how, what can you do better? How do you avoid making the mistake next time? Well, you know, the right answer is right because it's the one that must be true. And the wrong answer is wrong because it doesn't have to be true. Why did you pick it? Well, because you probably misread the question and you thought it was a could be true question. But it really was a must be true question. Mm hmm. Um, but you know, there's another thing that you did wrong, <laughs> which was you didn't read all five answers. I mean, the right answer does have to be true in this case. Mm -hmm. And you picked an answer that could be true, which leads me to believe that you probably didn't even read the right answer. Yeah. You found one that you thought worked. Oh yeah, that, that could work. Yeah. I'll pick that. And not even, not even like consider the other answers. I agree though that, you know, we probably don't need all six of those questions. We could probably boil that down to four. In classes, that's usually what I do. Why is the right answer right? Why didn't you pick it? Why is the wrong answer wrong? Why did you pick it? If yep. you can legitimately answer those questions, then you probably have already answered 
what can I do better? How do I avoid the mistake next time? It's kind of, it, it almost immediately follows from that, right? Why did I do that? Okay, well, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we do have an LSAT Demon Daily episode uh, 614 to reference. It does not feature me or Ben. It's Yay. called How to Review Logic Games, and it was with uh, Matt and Eric. And so if you want to go get a lot more about this process of how to do your LSAT review, again, episode 614 of LSAT Demon Daily, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Great. This next email uh, is from Wendell. The subject is, my daughter was accepted to Yale Law School. Hooray? Question mark. Love it. Love this. Without even reading the email, I already love it. Yeah. Because, you know, this is someone who's taking our advice to heart that even when you get your offers, you don't have to accept them. Nope. So Wendell is, you know, looking down at his badass daughter who was accepted to Yale Actual Law School. And he's provisionally celebrating, <laughs> but with a question mark. Mm hmm. So let's see what his question is. He says, I've been watching your videos and I heard your messages loud and clear. Don't pay for law school and or don't borrow money for law school. However, my daughter was recently accepted to Yale Law School. And if I recall correctly, you guys mentioned in one of your videos that you had three students who were accepted to Yale Law School. Well, we've had more than that over the years. We, we probably have three at Yale at least right now. Three teachers. Maybe that's what this person means. <laughs> three current. Yeah, yeah like th like three people who have taught for LSAT Demon who are currently yeah. at Yale. I mean, yeah. Carl is still there, right? And he's yeah. still tutoring for us sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, who oh, else wait. just went? I don't think Carl's. I think Carl's graduated. Oh, did he graduate by yeah. now? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, is your recommendation the same for the number one law school in the country? Quote, don't pay for it. Or is Yale Law School a unique case given the higher starting salary potential? I'm really struggling with what advice I should give her. All caps, help. Hmm. What do you think? Well, I do think that there is this, uh, the, <laughs> what is it? The, the, the value you get out of law schools is not linear uh, when it comes to their ranking, right? It's not like yeah. the value just marches up nicely and slowly and evenly. What happens is it's, it's a, it's a bit, it's an exponential curve. So at the, okay. at the, like, at so the let me end, give an illustration. Sure. The school that's ranked 90th in the country. Yeah. Versus the school that's ranked 100th in the country. Yeah. Almost no difference. No difference. The yeah. school that's ranked first in the country versus the school that's ranked 10th in the country. Yes. Big difference. Big difference. There's all these doors that get closed as soon as you drop out of Yale. Like, like the Supreme okay. Court. Sure. Yep. You know, or law professor. Yeah. There, there are there are like some ultra prestigious jobs that Yale will open the door to that other places, even in the top 14, might not. So really, this question is going to come down to your daughter. And the question is, OK, are the things that I can get from Yale worth the cost of Yale? If not, the alternative is to go to a school that's ranked fifth for free or sixth for free, right? Yeah. Like Harvard is ranked fifth. And yep. there, there's not that many changes between those schools. And now all of a sudden you're going for free. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. What's, what's, the, what's the 
best alternative? What's her next best thing? Hopefully she didn't just apply to Yale. Um, hopefully she applied to a lot of the other schools in the top 14 and maybe even some schools outside the top 14. I mean, yeah. if she applied to Georgetown, it's like Georgetown better have given her their very best full ride offer. Yep. And then she's comparing Georgetown for $0 to Yale Law or, School for $70,000 or whatever their tuition is. Or maybe a stipend, right? Some like some of these schools oh, might yeah. be giving her a stipend. Michigan, so, you know, at least a couple of years ago, Michigan was like, oh, yeah, in order to get people not to go to Harvard, we're going to give you a $10,000 stipend in addition to our full ride. Yeah. And so, you know, that without that, I don't think we can really answer Wendell's question. Yeah, we need we need to know what your alternatives are in terms of schools and cost. And then we also need to know how important those final you know doors are to your daughter. If she's like, yes, I'm going to law school to become a Supreme Court justice or clerk at the yeah. very best, you know, yeah. clerkships there are available, then maybe it's worth it. But if that doesn't matter to her, she's like, yeah, big law all the way, big law. OK, well, there are plenty of schools that can get you into big law. No problem. Right. Right. Um, but Yale is a school where if you go to Yale and finish literally last in the entire class at Yale, mm -hmm. you can still waltz right into big law. Sure. That's not true at uh, Michigan. Mm -hmm. You know, if you wash out schools that are 10th in the country, 14th in the country, whatever, if you don't do that great at those schools, I guess it's not a washout because you're going to actually graduate. But if you graduate and do poorly there, you're you're going to have a harder time trying to find those high salary. You know, it seems like Wendell is concerned with higher starting salary potential. Yeah. So, yeah, I would believe that everybody at Yale, if they want to, waltzes out of Yale and immediately makes one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year. I, yeah. I don't think that that's hard to do. It's tough, though, because, I mean, if you're going for free or even getting a stipend, then you've also dramatically reduced your risk. So even if you do perform... <laughs> lower on in the class right it's like what if you get sick what if you get injured what yeah. if you get married and move out of the country what if you have a kid during school what if you i don't there's like so many things that can go wrong <laughs> well i don't know if go wrong is the right phrase but go well, in a different direction right and not consistent with the yale plan well go wrong according to the higher starting salary potential that you yeah. think yale is going to offer <laughs> like yeah, any of yeah. those things could yeah. cause you not to be able to reap the benefits of this higher starting salary. Yeah. Um, one other consideration is that uh, Harvard, Stanford, Yale, and a couple of the other schools at the very top of the rankings don't do merit-based aid. They only do need-based aid. Mm -hmm. And so I would dig as, I would just dig in Wendell as close as you could get, figure out how they calculate need-based aid mm -hmm. and Wendell, if you make a lot of money and your daughter is young, they very likely might look at your income and then decide whether she, is she whether she's going to get a discount. But if there's separation there or Wendell, if you don't make a crazy amount of money and, you know, even Wendell might be able to comfortably make $100,000 a year and Yale still could give need based aid. Sure. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know. But my suspicion is that you'd. <laughs> Yale's going to have different understanding of what need is, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's possible that she could go to Yale for free already. 
just based on your financial circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. That's the challenge here. You have to compare the need based offer with the scholarship offers. It, since she's already been admitted to Yale, I think you could go ahead and just talk to Yale right now and say, hey, what's the price going to actually be here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, is she going to get need-based aid or not? Mm-hmm. And how much? <laughs> and how much? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yes, you will get need-based aid. Thank you. <laughs> well, they'll give some bullshit. A lot of times the schools are going to give some bullshit of like, oh, well, yeah, we haven't really. Um, that'll come in the, you know, what, that's, that comes later. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like, yeah, okay, but we're making our decision now. So we need to get some more information, please. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing that we've said on the shows before is that we really know and trust the people who have taught for us at LSAT Teaman. They're not dumb people. And many of our teachers have decided that it's worth it for them to pay tuition at the Harvards and Stanfords and Yales of the world. I would talk to people like that, not talk to a couple of podcasters, (laughs) right? Yeah. Wendell, if you, uh, we, we might be able to connect you to some people at Yale, but you're already connected to Yale since your daughter's already been admitted to Yale. I would, I would talk to people at Yale about what the price is actually going to be. And if that price is going to be reasonable, then it seems like your decision might already be made. But I do want to know what the alternatives are, especially stipends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, congratulations to your badass daughter. Yeah, seriously. Next one uh, is from Anonymous, and it is about scholarship negotiations. Hello, Ben and Nathan! Exclamation point. I have received the decisions from most of the schools I applied to, and I am happy to say that I got into schools such as U- University of Iowa and Wake Forest, However, because of my low GPA from 10 years ago, I didn't receive any full rides. The best offer by far was from University of Iowa, which would have, would have me graduate with approximately $36,000 in debt. With my wife working, I will be able to keep my cost of living down. I applied broadly to schools in the bottom 100, but the scholarships I received from those schools were not only less than Iowa, but were also conditional. I want to know how to ask for more scholarship money from Iowa without having a better offer to use as leverage. Do you have any tips? Thanks for helping me through this journey. Hmm. Well, my first gut is my first reaction is just to say you can always ask and you don't, it's not really always about leverage. Sometimes it's as simple as letting them know that it matters to you. Right. I, I agree with that. I, I was, that's the same idea that came to my mind is that you talk about, I, I would even think about maybe mentioning something in the email along the lines of, I was really hoping to go to the University of Iowa for free. So you set that mm, like expectation anchor right off the bat. Yeah. That's yeah, a good right negotiations the, tactic. Yep. Yep. And then maybe you end up shifting and saying, um, I, I really appreciate the offer you've given me. I've run the numbers and I can't afford 12,000 a year, which is what this would be, right? But I can afford 7,540, <laughs> some, some specific number so that they feel like you're trying to give as much as you can give. I think that may be easier for them to say yes to. Something like that. I, I threw out that number randomly. You'd have to think about yourself what number you'd want to actually use. But what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, well, 
so I'm reminded of this. Uh, yes, I think that that's a good tactic. I think that the anchoring thing is a good tactic in multiple ways. Um, I was thinking about this, you know, there's this social science research that suggests that humans are, are likely more likely to make accommodations when you offer a reason, even mm. if the reason doesn't make sense. So <laughs> saying I was hoping to go for free is a reason. Saying yeah. anything is a reason, right? So but by the way, the, the research that I'm thinking of was this research that suggests that if you ask somebody, hey, give me a dollar, you've got X percent chance that they're going to give you a dollar. Yeah, I remember but if this you usage. say, yeah, yeah. If, if you, say, you like, say, give hey, me a dollar because it's cold outside or something like. <laughs> well, yeah, even that's actually kind of a smart reason. If you said, give me a dollar because it's Tuesday, like a totally nonsensical reason, I believe sure. is what was in the study. Yeah. That it, it now you have an X plus some unknown percentage chance of getting the dollar, mm. even when yeah. the reason makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. So it's like ask. That's step one, because it's never a zero percent chance. So yeah. ask. Then when you ask, give some reason. And I think you can do a hell of a lot better than it's Tuesday or even that's cold outside. You know, the reason can be something like I looked at your. ABA 509 report for 2023 and in the grants and scholarships table um, at the top of the third page of that report, I see that last year or currently you're, you're offering 17% of your class is paying zero tuition. And there's another 3% of the class that's somehow getting more than full tuition in grants. So they're paying less than full tuition. They're actually getting money somehow from your school. So there's 20% of the class that's paying zero or less than zero. Yeah. And thank you for the grant, you know, that you have offered me, but I, I really am, you know, then you could say some of the other stuff that you've said, and I guess you don't want the email to go on and on, but there's other useful stuff here. Like my wife is working. Yeah, just that like that's it's not even really a reason, but it is a reason because you just it's like you give them the impression that the money really matters to you. Yeah. And they want you. All right. Anonymous, like they want you. They really want you. They would not have admitted you and they would not have made you whatever offer they made you if they didn't want you. So they want you. And your asking is not going to ever cause them to rescind their offer. They could say no. They could say we don't negotiate scholarships. There's lots of ways that they can try to push you off. But if you're persistent, I don't know that you need leverage. You just need to you just need to make it clear to them that you're not sure whether this is a whether you're going to say yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, you could say something like, would it help if I uh, reapplied next cycle with a higher LSAT? Give them the sense that you're willing to walk away. Anything more for Anonymous? I just thought of Janae Gordon's episode. Uh, that was episode 437. And in that episode, she'd said, nothing bad happens from asking. Yep. Yep. And we've heard case, that multiple they times. They say no. <laughs> from people. Yeah. They just, it's this, what do lawyers do but go around and ask for special dispensation? Yeah. So, you know, this just makes you look more lawyerly if you respond in a cordial, professional, but also kind of pushy sort of way. Yeah. You just look like a good lawyer. Yeah.
What was one thing you said I really loved? Oh yeah, that that idea of of anchoring them on a full ride right off the bat. <laughs> just this like and you could use the 509 data. Do you think that that's a does that help your your strategy to actually use that 509 data to say I, because of this it has to, it's going to come to down to how it sounds, right? If you sound right. like No, don't you don't want to sound like you're pompous and that you deserve it and you expect to get it. Not like that. Just it yeah. needs to be like a a note of concern. It needs to be coming from a place of you are legitimately willing to walk away, not because you think you're getting ripped off, but because yeah. you just don't know if if it makes financial sense for you and your family. Yep. If it comes off that way, and I guess referring back to the 509 is kind of like, a, hey, you're giving these other people scholarships. Why aren't you giving me a scholarship? So maybe that's not the best strategy. But But coming back with something along the lines of, wow, um, you know, my, my wife is going to be working and I do my best to keep my cost of living down. And I understand that I'll be able to borrow this money, but I, I just, I just don't know if the job outcomes are going to really justify me going into this kind of debt. And I do see that on your 509 uh, report, you seem to give full rides to some students. So I was really wondering if you could reconsider me for one of those scholarships. Yeah. And if they say no to that, then maybe I would come back with a specific number. Like, hey, okay, I've really tried to stretch my budget as far as I can stretch it, and this is what I can come up with. Will that work for you? It's hard yep. for people to say no to that. <laughs> Be forewarned that they're going to come back and talk to you about financial aid. Yeah. Yep. Right. They're always going to say, oh, but we have generous financial aid packages that guarantee that everyone is going to have access to the amazing education that they're going to receive at University of Iowa Law School. Yeah. In beautiful Peoria or wherever the fuck it is. <laughs> um, and if you if and so they they will try to put you off with that type of thing. But you come back with I am extremely debt averse. I, I just do not want to borrow money in order to finance this degree. If I don't have to, I'm looking for all alternatives that do not involve me going into debt so they can shut up about their financial aid and get yeah. down to the real business of talking about grants, which we yeah. know from their 509 that they give tons and tons and tons of grants. Yep. Go check out uh, Ben's episode with Janae Gordon on episode 437 of Thinking LSAT. We will link to that in the show notes as well. All right. Leon is also looking for some advice in choosing between scholarship offers. So hopefully this is somebody who applied early, applied broadly, has multiple offers at this point in the cycle, really doesn't need to decide yet. I mean, no. deposit deadlines shouldn't be happening right now. And if they are, you could probably say, hey, push. <laughs> I want to push my I've got other schools to consider and I can't pay your deposit today. Um, why don't you read uh, Leon's email? Yeah, uh, it's short. So it just starts out with FIU, which is uh, Florida International, I believe, University. And he says, GI Bill covers full cost of tuition and housing. Wow. Okay. The school is offering a 17000 annual stipend conditioned on maintaining a 2.75 GPA. The, man, the, the people with uh, the GI Bill and or yellow ribbon. And we've heard more of this recently where they're able to 
like talk the school into giving them a stipend instead of tuition assistance. Yeah. Because from the school's perspective, right, the GI Bill is covering their full tuition. And so they're just turning around and refunding that to the student. And they're still <laughs> winning because they're getting more than half of the tuition covered. That is simultaneously an amazing benefit for uh, our troops and a wild just ripoff of the American taxpayer. Yeah. Or I guess it's not a, a ripoff of the taxpayer here because Leon's going to get the tuition and housing no matter what from the GI Bill. And he earned that from his service. Oh, interesting. <laughs> the so this, school, this isn't costing the, the taxpayers any additional money. No, it's the school ripping off the other people at FIU who are paying full tuition. Yeah. Like, where does all this money go? Well, <laughs> 17,000 of it looks like it's every, every year, 17,000 annual stipend Holy is going to go to Leon. Yeah. And tuition and housing are already covered. So this is just, wow. That's a pretty good offer. This is the way to do it. What do you think about that condition? Conditioned on maintaining a 2.75 GPA. Well, okay. So obviously people need to be uh, conscious of the fact that... Um, most law schools have pretty stringent curves. Unlike your undergrad where everybody got A's all the time in law school, you know, it's, it's pretty common actually to have what B plus is like the center of the curve B or B plus. So 3.0 yeah. or 3.3 is yeah. going to be the center of the curve. And then it's going to be really rare to go above that. It's also going to be pretty rare to go much below that. It's just everything gets really compressed around 3.0 or 3.3. I would ask FIU what their curve policy is. I would ask them what the average GPA was last year for 1Ls. I would look at their 509 report to see how many conditional scholarships got taken away. Mm, yeah. Well, I would look at their 509. Yeah, right? So let's, so let's look at that. Yeah, let's, let's take a peek. Conditional scholarships, 2022, 2023, last year. 104 people entered with a conditional scholarship. 18 of them were reduced or eliminated. So, you know, you got like a 15% chance probably. Assuming that that was also a 2.75 requirement, which it could have been a higher requirement. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, Florida International is the type of place that takes scholarships away from people. If I mean, they're that's not, not egregious, well. right? Like That some is of not these... egregious, no. Yeah. Although... Huh. In 2020 and 2021, it was a little more egregious because in 2020, 2021, they had 93 who entered with a scholarship and 27 mm. of those were reduced or eliminated. So yeah. now you're getting more like 25% chance of uh, getting your scholarship taken away, yeah. which is a little riskier. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, but, you know, we also have a commandment here, which is basically if you're not doing well in law school, you should drop out. And I, I mean, I want to like quadruple down on that, that law schools at every law school, there are people in the class who just clearly can't compete. Mm -hmm. So you should be able to finish around the middle of your class. At least if you're not, if you're like performing below the middle of your class and if you're not at Harvard, Stanford, Yale, you know, maybe other schools in the top 14, somebody has to be at the bottom of the class in Michigan and you're probably still doing pretty well. But if you're at a school that's ranked 60th in the country 
and they want to take away your scholarship because you haven't got good enough grades, you should drop out. I guess uh, Leon, though, he's still going to have his full tuition and his housing. Yeah. He just wouldn't get the $17,000 stipend. So even if they do take that stipend away from you in your second and third year, that's a bummer because it's thirty four grand you could have gotten. But I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to be very hard to maintain a 2.75 as long as that's not the middle of their curve, which you might want to ask them. Yeah. So the next offer that uh, Leon has is Stetson, which is also in Florida. This uh, here he says GI Bill plus yellow ribbon plus scholarship covers the full cost of tuition. Once you add it all up, it's he's just getting the the full cost of tuition. Okay. Yep. Leon's in negotiation with the school to match FIU's stipend. Okay, Stetson is ranked eighty fourth. FIU That's is a worse ranked school. Yeah, it's a worse yeah. school. I mean, not that those numbers are very different. So these schools are essentially the same rank. Um, but boy. Other than the conditional scholarship, it seems like FIU is hands down better. Leon says, I appreciate any advice you can offer to help me make a decision on where to go. I applied broadly to multiple schools and I have a few more offers to think about. Yeah, I mean, obviously consider those scholarship offers. We don't know what they are. Um, try to get Stetson to go higher. Maybe ask for more from FIU. Maybe ask them to remove the condition. I mean, you can ask and they can say no. Um, but on the surface, FIU looks like the winner. I mean, for my money, I would also vastly prefer to be in Miami, which is where FIU is. Mm. I would way rather be in Miami than be in Gulfport, which is St. Mm. Petersburg, Clearwater, Tampa, mm. Florida. Okay. Um, but that's just me. I'd rather be in like a bigger, city. more modern <laughs> city. I'd rather like live in more the world than live in Florida. And so, you know, <laughs> that part of Florida to me is Florida, where Miami is like kind of Florida, but it's also Miami. Mm. I don't know. What other things might you consider? Yeah, I think we covered it. I mean, that $17,000 stipend, that's great. Heck, you could even yeah. ask for more. <laughs> I mean, keep in mind, it's a good deal for the school because what does uh, FIU charge? They charge... Uh, eh, da, 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 da. Let's see, I'm looking at the 509... Why am I not seeing this? <laughs> well, they oh. do it by by credit. Oh, lovely. Well, I assume you just multiply it by 28 or 30. So it's resident is 691 per credit times assume. So 700 bucks times 30. So they charge $21,000 a year resident tuition and more like 35,000 for non-resident tuition. I'm assuming... Okay. Yeah, that Leon is probably a Florida resident. That's about right. So I'm actually, I clicked on the tuition roll call. So if you click oh, on FIU, uh, yeah, it says tuition is 35,700. Okay. So 17,000 is half, right? So they're still getting 17 grand. They have room to give more money. <laughs> yeah. And again, you know, you can always just ask. And the worst they could say is no. Hey, one thing I'm noticing here, Ben, is, uh, the 509s on that tuition and fees table. Yeah. For FIU anyway, it it says tuition guarantee program. No. Mm -hmm. what, what table are you looking at? Oh, uh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Tuition and fees. Okay. Yep. What is tuition that? guarantee program equals no. 
as mm-hmm. I understand it, and I only recently have started really thinking about this, but tuition guarantee, it came up because of the Arizona thing where Arizona was giving tuition guarantees to all of their students mm. and then recently decided that they can't afford to do that because they need to jack up their tuition because they lost oh, $250 so million dollars or whatever it was. They lock it in place for your three years? They just guarantee that they're not going to Im- increase it. Yeah. Which that would be awful nice. Yeah, you're committing to them. Can they not commit to you on a price? Well, we don't know. We just don't know. Hey, um, it might change. And by that time, you're locked in. I mean, what are you going to do? Leave? <laughs> no, and you are. Like, hardly anybody leaves the law school that they start at. Yeah. I mean, unless they drop out. But yeah, and, and you know, you've got to be conscious of that. How much have they been raising their tuition every year? How much are they going to raise their tuition next year? Yeah. And that could give you negotiating leverage, by the way, to protect against future price increases. I wonder if you can give me a better stipend. Yeah. But hey, you're although, not guaranteeing. <laughs> although I don't think that's going to go anywhere at FIU because they're already giving you a $17,000 annual stipend and GI bills covering your tuition, which gives you a built-in uh, tuition guarantee, I assume. Yeah, but I think they're tra- just paying the bills, right? Yeah, the strategy is always the same though, right? And that is you approach it nicely and you just you hope for more. <laughs> You ask for more kindly and say, I'd love to go there. It just would make it a little bit easier if you could do X. Yep. See what they say. Good job, Leon. Good job, Anonymous. Love to hear if you uh, if Anonymous follows up with uh, Iowa or yeah, if, if you if you try to negotiate with Iowa, I would love to hear how that goes. Leon, if you try to negotiate with FIU or any of these other schools, um, yeah, just go to our website thinkinglsat.com and let us know how that went. Okay, we've got two more things on the agenda. Word of the week and tips from a departing demon. Word of the week came to us from an ask button. You want to read it? Sure. So this is from a test that we uh, can't disclose publicly, but the question says, my issue here was really that I did not know what four out of five of these words meant. And the, well, here's the four words. (laughs) Ostensible, extraneous, delimits, and impolitic. Mm. Any tips on how to better answer this question other than just memorize the dictionary? I tried to pay attention to context and understand the gist and understood the gist of the sentences, gist of the sentences, but could not pinpoint the exact meanings of the specific words. Um, At least three of these words, I think, are words you can get pretty close to the meaning by looking at the root words. Well, let's start with impolitic. I mean, that seems like the easiest one. Yeah. To be politic, uh, you know, to be like, to be political is to be kind of like savvy about acceptable to people. Yeah. In a way you're going to present things that you're going to try. Like it, it, it suggests that you're trying to gather a coalition around you or gather consensus maybe. Yeah. If you're political, you're conscious of what you're saying and trying to say it in a way that makes people <laughs> like you or at least not hate you. And if you're impolitic, that just sounds like the opposite of that. Yeah. So to be impolitic would be to be somebody like me who, you know, I just kind of say what I think and don't like try to be cagey. Yeah. So that's impolitic to just yeah. uh, blurt it out. It's impolite. It's direct. It's yeah. Not. Oh, it's political. very similar to impolite, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Just notice that. So that one doesn't seem like it's that hard to figure out. What about these other ones? 
Yeah, delimits. Okay, there's a word in there, limit. And to delimit to delimit something is very similar to limiting it. You're 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 what is it? You're you're outlining the contours of a situation, I guess. Yeah. Maybe you're you're like deciding what the your limits are. I don't know. You can really <laughs> get yourself you... in trouble there though, can't you? Because if if you read that as D limits, right? I mean like deconstruct would be the opposite of construct. Mm, mm-hmm. But delimits does not mean take away limits. It means mm. to specify those limits. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah. How about extraneous? Extraneous has that word extra in there. And yeah. extraneous is extra. It basically just means extra, like the way with the way people normally <laughs> people say extra these days. It's very similar to what extraneous is. Yeah. It's just like overkill or too much, too, more than you really needed is extraneous. Ostensible. So this is a word that w- when I learned it, I, re- I don't remember when I learned it. It was a long time ago, but I definitely had to look it up. It means apparently or seems right. It's not. Uh, or it could mean like purportedly, you know, if, if yeah, you thought someone like was said, giving you a false reason why they're doing what they're doing, then, you know, it's like, well, ostensibly they're doing this because of this. Supposedly. Yeah. Right. Supposedly. It's got a little shade on it. It's yeah. kind of like, <laughs> well, you know, I'm not sure if that's really what it means. Um, do you think that this ask button correspondent should memorize the dictionary? I don't think they should memorize the dictionary, but these words are words that they should figure out one way or another. I don't think you're going to struggle as a lawyer if you don't know words like that. Like those are four words that are not crazy vocabulary words that, you know, like the spelling bee words (laughs) where like you've never even heard that word before. These words are not like that. These are words that people use all the time in um, at least in a certain kind of English reading and writing. Hmm. They are commonly used words. So my advice would not be memorize the dictionary. My advice would be use the dictionary, look up words when you encounter them. And then my second piece of advice, and really maybe my first piece of advice would be read more so that you encounter more words. The more you read, the more you will encounter words you haven't read before. And then you learn new words and you don't, you know, I'm in the habit and my Kindle makes it so easy. So does a web browser makes it so easy to look up definitions of words. I, I don't then bother like writing down. I don't make flashcards and I don't, you know, have a word list that I go then follow up on or anything. I just keep reading because I'll see those words again. And if I don't read it, if I don't understand it the next time, I'll look it up again. Well, anyone who's experienced this knows too, that once you look up a word, you feel like you've never heard that word before in your life. And then three days later, you hear it fucking again. And you're like, what the hell? Yep. Oh, absolutely. That happens all the time. <laughs> how, yeah. How no, have that's I crazy. been missing this my entire life? And now I hear it constantly. It'll be in the very next book you read. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I really want to encourage people to read books. I think you need to be read. I think you need to be using the printed word. Mm-hmm. Ben, I know you like audiobooks a lot. I think our students, audiobooks, I think, can certainly help because you still will hear that word in context. So probably you can probably audiobooks are maybe almost just as good for building your vocabulary. Although if you don't see the word in print, you might not recognize, you know, what that word actually, how it's spelled and what it looks like. And so then you might not be able to read it on the LSAT. Well, you know, there's some interesting uh, research behind this. And I, I only know this oh. in part because of uh, what's been 
going on with my kids. And you remember that one podcast we listened to? Uh, yeah. Soldier's story. So yeah, they, that's they, crazy. They, they hinted at some of this research. So then I ended up going and looking at it. But when it comes to learning words, you have to first learn them orally. Orally. Apparently. You have to have been exposed to them orally. So what ends up happening, well, I don't know that you have to, but it becomes exponentially easier to decode a word if you already have this um, audio awareness of it. So for my but kids... But phonics helps you to just build that audio awareness of the word yourself, right? Because that was the thing in Soul to Stories that generations of people failed to learn how to read properly because they never learned phonics. Excellent. Exactly. And, but that, that's, and that, become, that step becomes exponentially easier if you already have that word mapped in your head via sound. So you know, you've heard that word, you know that word, you can say that word, but you'd have no idea how it looks on the written page, but then you use phonics to decode it and you go, ah, and then your brain makes that link. And apparently it makes that link a lot better if you already have that, that word. I'm not saying that audiobooks are the answer, but it can pave the way to make these words click more when you do see them on the written page. Yeah, I would just expose myself more and more to words. Words. <laughs> I guess, yeah, hearing them is great. So like talking to people that are smart, talking to people that have a really good vocabulary, maybe yeah. listening to the Thinking LSAT podcast can help you to build your vocabulary. But then also read a lot of books. Yeah. I, I will say I got a Kindle because you have a Kindle and um, it's 10 times easier to look up. To words. look words up? Yeah. When you're listening to an audiobook, you're usually driving, you're doing something else. Uh, right? Yeah. You, yeah. You're, you don't want to jam or whatever. You have to yeah. stop and then you have to ask Siri, what the hell is this word? And of course, Siri is stupid and can't hear you and answers different questions. But, you know, on your Kindle, it's just like, like you said, you tap it and boom, there it is. Book recommendations? I finished up that book about mckinley or sorry that book about garfield being murdered yeah incredibly just incredibly president garfield was killed by his doctors and how did they kill him by evil practice i don't know (laughs) more or less the book talks about how uh dr joseph i think lister yeah uh not sure about the first name but this guy Lister was going around trying to get surgeons to um, use antiseptic in their surgeries. Mm. <laughs> the, back in the day, it was like spray the whole area with carbolic acid, apparently, and that will kill all the bacteria and stuff. Sure. And the doctors just didn't even believe that bacteria were real. Uh, and yeah. so with that was President early Garfield, 1900s, right? And then Garfield was before that. Or what? yeah, it, well, this this yeah, this it was like right around the same time. So Lister's yeah. going around screaming at doctors about using um, about using antiseptic in their in their practice. Yeah. Rather than just repeatedly taking their just raw, dirty hand and like sticking it inside the president of the United States to yeah. try to find the bullet. Yeah. At, they probed and probed and probed in this wound and they repeatedly introduced this bacterial infection into him. Meanwhile, the bullet is lodged safely. The body had already like encased it in a protective oh. thing. The oh, bullet weird. never, ever would have killed him. All they had to do was not keep pl- 
sticking bacteria into him. Oh, jeez. And he died of a massive bacterial infection that was septic? just in his entire yeah. body. Yeah. Sep- yes, septic. He died because of his doctors. And this was like less than 100 years ago. It's a yeah. fascinating book. At the same time, Alexander Graham Bell, who yeah. invented the telephone, was there with this tool. It was a precursor to the x-ray machine mm. where he was searching for, he, he found this, he, he invented a device that could search for metal <laughs> specifically so that he could go into, so that he could go try to find this bullet in the doctor, in the president, which wow. wasn't killing him. Wow. But the doctor who took charge of Garfield's case wouldn't let Bell run the machine the doctor said, no, I will be the one who will run the machine. Oh, my And God. he only ran the machine on the part of Garfield's body where he had already decided the bullet has to be. Oh, jeez. And he <laughs> and he like so then and long story short, they don't find the, the bullet, which is in the other side of the president's body. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's fascinating that the body naturally encases it. I wonder what yeah. sort of evolution led to that. But OK. Yeah. And well, in this in this time, there were all well, I mean, your body does that all the your body doesn't. Yeah. If it do, foreign it's fucking bodies amazing stuck inside. What, what your oh, body yeah. does. No, evolution <laughs> is pretty fucking pretty, pretty baller. Yeah. yeah. Um, another fun fact from that same book, we missed another not only presidential shooting, but a president who died from the shooting. Which oh. came after Garfield, President McKinley, uh, not long after, was also shot and killed. Oh, geez. Okay. So that's four presidents who got shot, three of whom died from the wound, died from the bullet or like Garfield died from their doctor. Yeah. And then even maybe the most crazy uh, thing is that Robert Todd Lincoln, who I mentioned a couple episodes back when we were talking about this, maybe it was last week, that's Robert Todd Lincoln, the yeah. oldest son of uh, the oldest surviving son of Abraham Lincoln. He was present at three different presidents being shot. That ain't suspicious. <laughs> I don't think he had anything to do with it. He was at the theater when his dad got shot. He was somewhere in in the vicinity, uh, the train station or whatever, where Garfield got shot. And then later he was also there when McKinley got shot. Dubious distinction of being the only guy who was president, who was <laughs> present at three different presidential shootings. I don't huh. know if he was there for Kennedy or Reagan. Uh, oh, so you, now we're not sure. So that's about actually that. five presidents who've, bought, who've been shot. <laughs> America. America. Um, yeah. Yeah. I moved on from there, though. I'm now reading that uh, book, Why We Sleep. Okay. Yeah. You recommended that to me? I did a long time ago. Um, <laughs> funny thing about that, I was listening to something else about sleep, and they went off on that book. and then Claiming said, that everything in the book is wrong? Uh, claiming that a lot of it was hyperbole. That it was, it's based in science, and then the guy has kind of like just taking it a step further. And when I got that feeling as well, deconstructing some of it, you're like, oh my god, I can't believe I didn't notice those logical leaps. So Mm, I did. I mean, not maybe all of the ones that this, but but yeah, I was reading it, and I was like, wow, you're just going to say that without evidence? There are footnotes, but the footnotes are not to like specific evidence for your claims. So they're just, it it does seem to be like, I discovered this one small little thing and then let me, like the LSAT logical reasoning arguments do, you know, you take this one thing that is probably a fact, then you extrapolate that to what it actually means, to what you think it means. 
and it, and it's like, whoa, really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I, we don't, we can accept your evidence without accepting all of these claims that you're drawing from the evidence. Yeah. So I am taking that one with a uh, huge grain of salt while mm-hmm. I'm reading it. That said, I'm convinced about the importance of sleep. Yeah. Um, I, I've been pretty religious about, you know, 10 o'clock bedtime. I've got my alarm set for eight every day. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm spending a solid chunk in bed with the intention of sleeping every single night. That's a long time. That's 10 hours. How much of that are you asleep? Uh, eight probably. Yeah. Like I read myself to sleep. I get up to pee in the middle of the night. I wake up. I always wake up now before my alarm, which I consider to be a good sign Yeah. that, you know, I'm seven o'clock I'm up and I'm reading shit on my phone in bed or I grab my Kindle and I read a little bit before I get out of bed. But, um, yeah, I have been, um, doing my best to make sure that I'm getting (laughs) as much sleep as I can. Because there does seem to be pretty compelling evidence that if you want to live a longer life, if you want to be healthier, um, prioritizing sleep really uh, does matter a lot. Yeah, no, I agree. And if you want to fuck yourself up real bad, give yourself sleep deprivation. Yep. Pretty quick. See what happens. Yeah. (laughs) It's like after a night or even a couple nights and, and the deficit can carry with you for days and days after that. Um, like if you're tired all the time, if you have to have coffee in the morning in order to function properly, it is pretty clear that you're not sleeping properly. And that's probably causing you also a bunch of health problems. You know, I was just talking to Maria about this last night, actually, because it was, what was it? It was like six 30 and it's pitch black outside. Right. And we're not planning to go to bed till like 10. So you got another three hours here. In pitch black. Yeah. And yet when we wake up, 6.37, 7.30, it's been light for an hour. Yeah. And I was just like, it's a bummer that our society has like shifted so late because that can't be, I mean, there's just disadvantages to not aligning yourself with the natural circadian clock. I mean, I know people get up early at five and whatever, but. I don't know. Just our. You just should go to bed early enough that you then wake up naturally. Like yeah. if you've got an, a a blaring alarm clock every day to drag your ass out of bed at five o'clock, that's really not probably good. You sh- you probably should go to bed earlier so that you wake up naturally. I just wish events around the time of your alarm, huh? Like I just wish I wish uh, like events in our life were more yeah. ended earlier. Like. uh our kids do sports and a lot of these things are ending at eight, you know, yeah. and you're coming back at eight 30 and then yeah. you're, you're just like, you got to wind down. And yeah, it's been pitch black outside for two and a half hours already. So we don't really get the advantage of the morning. Anyway, I mean, I'm just complaining, but like, I, I wish <laughs> things were like more aligned with the sun so we could really take advantage of that and get our, our, our sleep. <laughs> I agree. Um, you could just be an old man like me and just decline all offers to <laughs> participate do things that are late at night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, what dinner is at eight o'clock? No, that is no. way too late for me. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Dinner is at like five. Okay. <laughs> tips, tips from a departing demon. We have this, uh, uh, when you exit after you've been a paid subscriber of the demon, when you turn off your account and bid us farewell, yeah. we ask you for tips. So here was one that I thought was worthy of discussion. You want to read it? Yeah. So Eric says, and this is not producer Eric, just uh, some student. 
use all your test retakes if you have to. I was on number five, had issues with the regular test date, and feel like I killed it today on the retest. It's not the end of the road yet for me either. I already have offers in hand, but if I'm unhappy with my final score and offers, I'll put off attending, apply for a sixth or even seventh retake this summer, and reapply next cycle. So that's my advice. Don't stop, give up, or leave any points on the table that you don't have to. No. I think that's a fantastic tip. I wish that this departing demon would actually just put off applying until the beginning of the next cycle anyway. Maybe that's already what they're planning on doing. Although I, maybe they're saying that they have some old scores that will expire. Mm. The limit is five times in five years. Fantastic that Eric took it all five of those times because he didn't yet have the score he was looking for. Fantastic. He actually took it more than five times already because he had issues on the regular test date, mm. proctor issues or whatever. And so he availed himself of the free retake that they gave him. Yeah. And it sounds like it went well on at least his sixth attempt. But he's willing to then wait longer till some of his scores expire and take it a sixth or even a seventh time. LSAC does have an appeals policy as well. So, you know, you might be able to file some appeal that will allow you to take it a sixth or a seventh time. But I thought that that was a really good tip. And it gives everybody listening some insight into the type of crazy people that you're going to be competing with in law school. Sure. You know, these just aren't people who rushed into it. You know, well, my like top of the show, we had somebody who was, you know, um, I would want to take it now so that I can apply rolling admissions by their May deadline or whatever. Yeah. And meanwhile, you're competing with uh, somebody like this who not only took it all five times to get their very best performance on record, but they're willing to even take it a sixth or a seventh time. To be clear, they're going to have to apply for that. They're going to have to appeal that, right? Unless they, unless they, unless they have scores that are like, you know, four and a half years old right now. Mm. If they have scores that are about to expire off of that five-year window, then they'll automatically be able to take it a sixth or even a seventh time because it's five times in five years and then a seven-time lifetime maximum and an appeals process if you want to take it more than that. Okay. Keep working hard, y'all. Your competitors are real hardworking, crazy folks. You can be LSAT famous. Ask us questions or share news with us at LSAT Demon. If you have questions about the LSAT Demon uh, you can email the world's best customer service team. That's help at lsatdemon.com. Please check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. That was episode 441 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.